0: morning, church family. Appreciated our music today, did you? So appreciated uh, that song, Graves into Gardens. And I couldn't help but think that one of the traditional places in Jerusalem where they believe Jesus' body may have been laid is now called the Garden Tomb. And it's a, actually a beautiful place. Only Jesus could turn a grave into something that brings peace. Only Jesus could bring a place of death and ending into a place of beginning and hope. So I was thinking about today's message. That song just really struck me. Though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear. And I'm so grateful that Jesus is our victor today. I spent... um, Six days away from you, (laughs) as you might have noticed last Sunday, I didn't get younger and more handsome when you saw that person in the pulpit. Thank you, Jacob. Appreciate it. A very thoughtful message about how we sometimes want to just substitute for God and take a shortcut, (laughs) and your life hacks were awesome, (laughs) whatever those are. (laughs) Was I the only person that had to look up what a life hack is? I'm the only person willing to admit it. (laughs) I appreciated that. But I spent some time away, and, you know, there's just times you need to do that. Spent some time at the Oregon coast, um, listening to God, praying, writing some things down, reading. Um, I took it as a study retreat. I mapped out seven months' worth of sermons. For an introvert, that just just feels so good. (laughs) so restoring and refreshing. I don't know if that's what you would have done, but I'm just grateful to be here, and I'm thankful for ways that God provides for us to get through certain seasons. I want to invite you to turn to James chapter 1 with the Bible. I'm going to start a new series from the book of James today, and I'm starting with a chapter that encourages us that we will indeed in Christ make it through. I'm reminded of all things of a simple nursery rhyme. There's a book called We're Going on a Bear Hunt. Have you heard of it? You have. (laughs) There are actually hand motions and songs and all kinds of adaptations of this uh, uh, little poem. But it goes something like this. We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. I'm not scared. What a beautiful day. Oh, look. It's some long, wavy grass. And you make these hand motions that the grass is taller than you are. Can't go over it. Can't go under it. Can't go around it. Got to go through it. And then you get the refrain again. We're going on a bear hunt, blah, blah, blah. It's a beautiful day. And then, oh, look, it looks like a wide river. Can't go over it. Can't go under it. Can't go around it. Got to go through it. We're going on a bear hunt. It's a beautiful day. Blah, blah, blah. And, and just come up. you can map your own obstacles. That's the fun thing about kids' songs and stories. If you don't know that, you don't have to stick to the script. Look, it's a dark cave. And they're all afraid of there's these lessons they learned. But isn't that a picture of life? Aren't there times and problems and circumstances under which we just want to go around them? We just want to deny that they're there. We want to figure out how to go over them. And sometimes we think as Christians, we shouldn't be going through trials. Shouldn't we be above the circumstances? And we can't go under them, although sometimes we try. We've got to go through them. I want to offer James 1 as an encouragement because all of us are going through something. Something. I invite you to think of this from time to time as a congregation. The person to your left and the person to your right is going through something today. You may not know all of what they're going through. Maybe you know some. But the truth is all of us are in some kind of pain. All of us are in some kind of dark cave or river or tall grass. And we all wonder, how am I going to get through this? If you're with me, And you need some encouragement from Scripture, from the Lord, we pray. Would you stand with me as you're able? And I'm going to read from James chapter 1, the first half of the chapter. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. When you ask, you must believe, not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. This person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who loved him. When tempted, No one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their their own evil desires and enticed. Then, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all that he created. May God have grace on us to go through it with grace. Maybe even we could reflect a little bit of this birth of his image. Amen? Amen. Please be seated. The book of James is a wonderfully practical book. It's actually hard to summarize in terms of a simple theme because there are so many themes, but if you could, it would be something like this. James wants to apply our faith to everyday life. We're to have a faith that makes itself visible in our character, in our attitudes, in our actions. Not just to be professors of faith, but to be possessors of faith, to be people who live from the inside out. Integrity is being the same on the inside as you are on the outside, and James describes that as completeness or maturity. And all that he has to say to these scattered Christians that he's writing to, he's writing from Jerusalem, he's wanting them to know that though they're scattered, they don't have to be destroyed. God is present. And he's present with us through, in this first chapter, our trials. James, I'm sure you're aware, is the half-brother of Jesus. He was fathered by Joseph. Can you imagine being raised by a family who have Jesus in the family? Big brother Jesus, why can't you be more like Jesus? (laughs) A little bit of pressure, I'm sure, for James. And did you know that James did not believe in Jesus during his earthly ministry? It's made clear that his family wanted him to renounce this idea that he was God and basically chased him off, a prophet's without honor in his hometown. Do you know when James came to faith? It wasn't at the cross. It was after the cross. 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul describes how Jesus, in his resurrected form, appeared to over 500 people, and then he puts this note in there, And he appeared to James, whom Paul considers an apostle, just like Paul. He didn't follow Jesus around as one of his original disciples, but he's an apostle because he witnessed, eyewitnessed the resurrected Christ to him directly. And and James takes on this big role in the Jerusalem church. He becomes known in history as James the Just. He's also called James the Camel Knees because he was known for his prayer. James became a believer, and as he starts off in verse 1, you notice that he identifies himself as a servant. He doesn't take pride in the fact that there's some blood relationship to the Savior. That's pretty cool, but he doesn't consider that his source of authority. His source of authority is that he's a servant of Jesus, and he's writing to these scattered Christians who are being persecuted. If they don't renounce faith, they could lose their life. James himself became martyred. He wrote his book fairly early. We know that because by 65 it said that he was killed for his faith. He would not renounce the fact that half-brother Jesus is the Messiah, that he's risen, that he's alive. Isn't that an incredible statement as far as the veracity and proof historically of the resurrection of Jesus? Would someone who knew him so well be willing to die for a lie? I mean, To me, this is just incredible to think about the fact that he knew Jesus growing up and he becomes such a leader in the church, but he's not convinced until he sees the risen Christ, has an encounter with him, and becomes a leader in the church. To me, that changes the way I read the words that we just read. You know, there are a couple of different stories out there as to how James was killed. I I know this is probably disappointing to you, but we don't always know what happened historically. (laughs) Early records are very different than maybe what we have now. Although now we have, you can edit the video and nobody knows for sure, right? There's a couple of stories. One of them is he was stoned to death. The other one is that he was actually thrown off the temple. But that didn't kill him. He was then clubbed to death. And he was quoted as saying, as Jesus did, Father forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. In either case, this is someone who is fully convinced of the hope that is in front of him. He is so willing to follow Jesus that he suffers for it. And he goes through the portal of trials in this world toward the hope that he describes in this book. You notice in the first part of James, he's discussing two things, what you might call trials and temptations. And let me just ask you, Have you any trials or temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? There's a lot of trouble, just about everywhere. And the first thing that James wants us to understand about this fiery experience that we have on this planet, the the difficult mud that we walk through or the dark caves or tall grass or whatever it is, he wants us to know that there's a difference between trials and temptations. And actually, it's good for you to know that this is the same word in the Greek. Isn't that interesting? And in fact, in the book of Hebrews, we learn, as the way the Hebrew author uses the same word for trials and temptations, they can be one and the same. Sometimes your trials are so heavy, they will tempt you to walk away. So either way, I want us to think about what James says as the separating difference, what you might think of as trials versus temptations. He wants us to understand that. And he writes these bold, bold words that I just have to say are hard. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Is that that kind of a tough thing to read for anybody else? This idea of trials of many kinds, that word is colorful. Trials of all kinds of different colors in the Septuagint, it's the same word that's translated of Joseph's coat of many colors. When you face trials of all kinds, and isn't that true? I said that the person next to you is walking through some mud somehow, and, and maybe their mud looks a lot different than yours. I think we always have a harder time seeing somebody else's trial than we do our own, don't we? <laughs> it kind of colors how severe theirs is compared to mine, because I know that my trials are the most important. But I get reminders as a pastor all the time about the fact that there is a variety of the severity of trials that people are experiencing. With job losses, with family issues, parenting issues, relationship problems, addictions. This past week I got called uh, by a dear person from our church whose friend had just lost her 11 month old baby. What's it? 11 day, I'm so sorry. 11 day old baby. And they've struggled with uh, premature births. This is the third one. And as she and I talked about this for her friend, how do you understand that? And I don't know if I failed the pastor test on this, but I told her I don't. I just don't. Somehow in my humanness, I don't get it. But faith is believing that God is still good in the midst of this. I want to unpack what James has to say about this joy thing. The first thing that he wants us to know about our trials, whatever the color or stripe that they are, is that they are external, we're going to compare this to temptation in just a moment, when you face trials, peripipto is kind of a fun word in Greek to say, so it's probably the only reason I'm telling you what it is, peripipto, but peri is around, and pipto is to fall, and so it's when these bad circumstances fall all around you, or you fall into these circumstances, and I guess what I like about that picture is none of us are immune. None of us get the free pass to go around. All of us must go through. It doesn't say if you, peripipto, it says when. And, and that's true. We're, we're all going to fall into circumstances of one kind or another. And the thing about trials that you might keep in your mind versus temptation, am I giving the other fill in away? You can fill it in now if you think you know it is that it's external. Second thing, if you notice verse three and four, you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work that you you may become mature and complete. There's a purpose to trials, I'm sure you can see it. It's to develop us. It's to produce something good in us. And we have a role of cooperating, whatever that looks like, to let perseverance not somehow avoid it or deny that it's there or take a detour But follow Jesus through it so that you may become mature and complete, teleos, not lacking anything. I I like that picture of maturity that we're complete. It's only one word um, in the original language, but for us it's two because we have a hard time capturing uh, this idea of completeness. Jesus used the same word or a root of this word when he said it is finished on the cross. And I think James wants us to keep that in mind. Faith. There's something ahead that's better. God can do something with this, even though we don't know why this is happening. He's doing something inside of you. So you've got an external pressure, right? And you've got something that the Spirit is doing inside of your character with it. That's a trial. A temptation is different. He goes on. And the latter part of what we, what we read, those four verses, 13, 14, 15, three verses. Sorry, that was Brooks' fault. He distracted me. I heard him. There he is. <laughs> hey, Brooks. Um, <laughs> grandpas just lose all focus, you know, when they hear things. Usually it's not a problem. But uh, each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desires. To me, that's interesting. Notice the source of temptation. Yeah, you already know. It's internal. And James wants us to understand that. We, we want to say, the devil made me do it, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> we're, we're dragged away when our own evil desires. We've got to own some stuff here, don't we? We've got to recognize that this is within our nature to crave something that's destructive to us. James wants us to understand that. The other thing he has to say about temptations, he continues in verse 15. After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And it's an interesting way of putting things. He kind of gives this reproductive cycle. It gives birth to sin. And then when sin grows up and becomes uh, its own adult, sin gives birth to death. And there's a generational thing. But what what he's showing us is there's a sequence to all this. I'll describe it in a minute. But the purpose here, obviously, it ends in death. That's a huge difference. And internal trial leads to a whole lot of trouble that's going to happen to us externally, even death itself, spiritual death. And, of course, you know, we go back to the Garden of Eden, we understand the consequence of sin ultimately is death. But James wants us to be warned about giving in He wants us to understand that. And and I want to say that for either one, he's saying there's a purpose. God can use trials and temptations. He can use those things to bring us to maturity if we let the Spirit's work happen in our lives by simply persevering. Stand firm, friends. That's That's why he's saying this to them. They're under all kinds of external pressure and they're dealing with all kinds of internal temptations that are common to everybody. And he says, Know this, if you persevere, I'm going to do something good in all of this. Church family, do you believe it? It's an important question. I think it changes whether or not we're willing to trust God's direction in all of it, to hang on to the fact that God's able to do something good in me in spite of maybe even because of the pain. Well, James is a really practical book. And so he talks to us about what I think of as some strategies. He, he talks to us about preparing for the test that is to come. I'm gonna move on. And I'm gonna describe those with three words. Um, he certainly tells us to pray, he, he tells us to think, And he tells us to rejoice. And he starts with prayer. He says, uh, if you lack anything, you should ask God. He'll give generously, don't doubt. I want to summarize some of what he's saying here by saying this. Face into your trials with faith and grit and joy. I've been back for, I got back Sunday evening, but in the week prior, those were three words that just kept coming back to me that I wrote down several times. Faith, grit, and joy. So I don't know how that speaks to you, but I, maybe I just see it everywhere <laughs> in Scripture lately since I've been thinking about those three words, those ne- necessary words of faith and grit and joy. But the biggest thing is that we're taking this from a perspective of prayer and a perspective of faith rather than trying to figure this out in our own wisdom. We don't know the answers. Trying to figure this out in our own strength and in our own devices. And what James is doing is he's preparing us for the test. Heard a great story, you've probably heard it before, of four college students that were taking a chemistry class. Did you love chemistry? And they were pretty confident they were A students And so they decided before the Monday test that they would go take a road trip and visit some friends. And they got a little carried away and didn't get back to campus until Monday, in fact, late for the exam. And they decided ahead of time, we're gonna invent this story as to why we had to (laughs) miss the exam. So of course, they told the professor, we we were headed back, you know, we went to our friends, which was true, we were headed back, and we had a flat tire. So is there any chance we could make up this exam? professor said, sure. They were delighted about that. So the next day, they came in to take their exam after studying all night, cramming, I'm sure. They were studying, uh, got into the exam. The professor did something a little different. Separated these four students into four different rooms and confiscated their phones. They opened the test booklet. The first page had one question on it worth five points, and it was a very simple chemistry Uh, question. They were delighted. They turned to the second page, and it said, for 95 points, which tire? (laughs) I don't know about you. The tests that I did the best in when I was in school were the ones that I could prepare for. They weren't the pop quizzes (laughs) of the unexpected. They were the ones that I could do something about. And here, I want you to see Scripture's being very practical with us about some ways that we can Prepare. And that's James' point. He says, don't be surprised when you fall into all kinds of multicolored trials and problems that are all around you. That's what this world is. Again, he speaks to me with authority because he was willing to die for his faith. He's talking to people who were persecuted for their faith, and he's saying, don't be surprised. Get ready because God's going to do something good with all of this. You know, as I was thinking um, well, let me move on. Uh, faith, oh no, I won't. What I think James is saying is, and maybe we misread it uh, on the surface, he's not saying consider the trials joy. Do you see that with me? He's saying consider joy what God does through the trials. You see that difference? Here, I know there are other passages that say give thanks and everything, but what he's saying is. You can have joy because you're confident of what God will do in the future through this present experience. And it's, and it's almost as if this is a unique chance to experience God's help and God's deliverance, whether it's a temptation that you're facing and you're trying to face that with faithfulness or whether it is a trial that's external to you that you're trying to face with faithfulness. And I got to thinking about this, and, and you could tell me I'm wrong if you want to, But I got to thinking about trials and temptations a little differently, almost as sacramental. And maybe that's the Quaker in me that somehow wants us to view all of life as sacramental, all of life as a portal to experience God's grace, not not just um, some things that we think of as religious practices. But even in trials, God promises to be present. Even in, in, even in our temptations, God can work if we're willing to persevere, if we're willing to trust him. So I was thinking about that. I, I was thinking differently about our struggles. Isn't it true that we have the opportunity to experience God differently in the middle of a dark cave, in, in the middle of the muddy marsh <laughs> that we're wading through when we don't know that we have the strength to do it? When when we need to have a God who can turn a grave into a garden or bones into an army, or there was a third one which was really good too. See they're drawing a blank, so you you gotta be in the middle of the song to get it, right? I know there's a third one, but but it's true. We we need to rely fully on a God who can do what we can't do. It gives us the opportunity, almost like a sacrament to be a little more dependent on God's presence and God's grace. And for that, there could be joy. For that, there's there's something of faith here. There's something to pray about. There, there's something hopeful. And I do think it's a grit thing. James is pulling the punches. He's saying, do it. He's taking away the excuses we want to offer that this is too hard, so how could I pray through this? He's saying, do it. And, of course, I'm going to land on joy because it's there too. But he's inviting us to see life through a different lens. I've heard it said that, and, and I'm no uh, sailor, but I've heard it said that if a ship is in an ocean and there are big waves or a storm, The wrong thing to do is to try to turn away if it's inevitable. The right thing to do is to steer into it, which, from my perspective, we do have an experienced person on the ocean over there. (laughs) Right, Garrett? (laughs) Am I close? If you steer into it, that boat is designed to cut through it. But if you try to avoid it, you're going to capsize. It's the picture in my head anyway. I hope it's right. But I know that that's true with our trials. Notice what he says, he says, face it. When we're directly facing those things instead of denying it. If this is specific to trials and temptations, I couldn't help but think about 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has seized you except what's common to everybody. And God is faithful. He'll always provide a way out under it so that we can stand up. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I think that's such an important verse resource for us in the middle of temptation. It's a a great promise that God's faithful in the midst of what we think is overwhelming and we're just a victim and we can't do anything about it. I think we're to face temptation with grit. I think we're we're to face it with faith and and a trust that God is able to work even if we don't think we can. The next word I offered is just think. Think. And what I want you to see is what I already pointed out, that there's a progression that starts in one place and goes to another place with regard to sin. And it starts with this desire, and that desire drags us away and we're enticed. Oh, I I guess I should point out what those are. It starts with desire. (laughs) There it is. Verse 14. Also in verse 14, it moves on to deception. I like to fish. The whole idea of fishing is deception, right? That's, that's not a real thing for you to eat. <laughs> Hope you grab it. <laughs> There's deception, but it starts with, well, we know we really like to eat these bugs that they're trying to imitate, right? <laughs> what is it about people that, that makes us want to eat stuff that's going to kill us? Three, disobedience. That's the part that is the actual sin and what I see James saying is I want you to stop and think about it when you're tempted take an inventory of your current location on this map and really think about number four where it's leading you and that is death I think church is a great place to think about temptation (laughs) don't you I really hope nobody's really tempted to sin in the last five minutes sitting here listening to the sermon I really hope so I hope that it's a sanctuary kind of an experience, a a place of shelter from some of the storms that you may be experiencing, some of the trials or temptations, and that, you, you know, it's a chance when you're focused on God and worshiping him that you're not thinking about the trial or the temptation in the same way. This is a good place to think about where are you most likely to be tempted, at what time of the week. So if it isn't Sunday morning at 1026, when is it? When are you most likely to think about it? In what environments, and what circumstances? Because these things have a sequence. And if you allow this to stay internal in your brain and you keep focusing on it or you keep going to the same places, <laughs> you know, if, if there's a guy with a fly line there ready to hook you and fillet you, go to another part of the stream. <laughs> um, it leads to disobedience if you hang out with it. If, if you're not careful about this process... And then, of course, we choose our kicks, but we don't choose our kickbacks, right? Once we take the hook, it's going to cost you. And, and it's going to cost others. And I think this is the right place to think about that. Think about the fact that there really are consequences that we can name for our sin. My grandson was making some beautiful noises back there. I want him to remember his grandfather as a faithful man. you know if i choose to go out and ruin my life wreck my family church whatever else that's that's not just destructive to me it creates a death in the next generation and the next generation doesn't it i think this is the right time to think about the multiplied consequences look nobody's perfect I think we're talking about moving forward here, right? God's grace is sufficient for the past. I'm so, so thankful. He can turn your grave into a garden, repent, come clean, find somebody good to talk to, get some help, ask Jesus for forgiveness. He will give it freely. He'll start you over. Now, we're here in church thinking about the future. It's pretty serious stuff a death, a separation of the kind of life that God wants us to have. The third thing that I think he's saying with regard to our preparation and perhaps passing this test is that we can rejoice in the middle of it. And I firmly believe this. I like how James winds up the whole thing by saying, don't you know that every good and perfect gift in your life is a gift from the Father? Why would you want to squander that Why would you want to be focused on the the fake stuff that kills you? Why would you want to be so focused on the trial or the hurt or the bitterness or whatever it is that that we all get stuck with from time to time? Don't be deceived. Um, I needed my time um, on the coast recently. And probably like you, I've been grieving the loss of normal in life (laughs) quite a bit and haven't really known how to process that, haven't really known what to do with that grief. We all miss people. Church isn't the same. I think the people who miss church the most maybe are the ones who are listening to me right now online or in this back building in that uh, room. And we all know it's just not the same. And we keep planning stuff, and it keeps getting canceled. I know that sounds like minor stuff. Maybe these trials are a different shade of color than somebody else's trial. I, I totally don't want to be disrespectful to that. But for me, it's been a very real hurt. And it's been a very real grief. Morning one of waking up in the prayer lookout at Twin Rocks Camp. It overlooks the ocean. It's just a very simple studio. I just felt like God spoke to me right away and I just started writing things down and there were four things I needed to pray about that week and it's just a really helpful time for me. Went down to the beach and I was lamenting one of my things, that life isn't the same anymore, God. <laughs> when is it going to be? <laughs> and of all things, I spotted a dead crab. It's a pretty common thing for the beach, right? For whatever reason, this crab just just caught my attention. I wanted to know his story. (laughs) How did you end up here upside down with just a shell? (laughs) And I thought about um, how temporary things are, you know, my footprints. And, you know, in a couple hours, the tide's going to change and my footprints won't be here anymore. To me, that was kind of a refreshing thought. that God's able to just start things over, over and over with his faithfulness, with the tide. You know, what, what are people that you even think about us and all these temporary circumstances that we want to cry over and pout over? <laughs> and as I was looking at this crazy crab, um, I looked up. Do you see the weather at Twin Rocks, by the way? I was there for six days. It was 60 degrees. And I have a friend there that told me it rained the day I left. So Beautiful. But I looked up at that tide, and, you know, you, beauty speaks so loudly to me of God's goodness. And I watched those waves rolling in one after another after another, and I just thought about the force of God's creation. And, and it's new. Every single one of them is new. And maybe I'm the only person looking at that wave at this moment. But God is powerful, and he's faithful, and he's going to keep his future going. And that's not up to me. And literally, here's how I felt confronted. I can either stare at that dead crab or I can look out on the horizon. I can trust that God is still strong and faithful and doing good things and bringing new life and new in any circumstance. And it really was a profound experience for me. I shared with my small group this story this week. And um, I happened to, happen to read something by James Bryan Smith while I was there about beauty. He has an incredible book called The Magnificent uh, Story. yes, Journey also. And in the book, he talks about how churches over time have come to be skeptical of beauty. You know how our buildings used to be gold and all these ornate things in them and so forth. And the Protestant movement, uh, some churches like Quakers got away from some of those things because we were afraid that the beauty wasn't becoming an end in itself, not a means to an end. And, you know, even churches that lost music loved all the instruments up here. You know, I especially love this board right here. I have no idea what it is, but it lights up and it's, it's entertaining for Brooks and I seen him notice that. For me, we have to take beauty in its right place. I don't think we need to be skeptical of beauty. You know, we're afraid that if someone's house is beautiful or their spouse, that somehow you'll feel distracted and go the wrong way. But on the other hand, beauty, like music and the ocean, it's a sacrament. It's a portal to God's goodness. If we recognize that it is penultimate, it's not not the ultimate thing we're after, but it's just before it, and it leads us to a place of doxology, of saying, praise God for all of that. Praise God that, that you made that. And I know this may sound strange, but it just connected so strongly in my brain. What if trials could become that? What if that's why we can rejoice is to know that trials aren't the end? The confusion and the darkness and the pain and the struggle that are real for all of us. What if that's not the end? But God is birthing something in us. God is preparing us for something we don't know about yet, and we don't have to cling our focus to the dead things, the washed up things, the footprints that maybe we wish could be washed over if we could just do it differently. What if God is a God who's continuing to be active in his church and in our lives and in our marriages and in our families in such a way that if we would persevere in faith, We would know that he was with us the whole time in the shadows and that he's leading us someplace better. I believe it. I want to invite us to a few minutes of open worship, listening and reflection. And I'd like to read Psalm 23 as a reminder of God's presence with us right now. If you feel prompted to speak, please do. And it might be good if we start with just a little bit of silence to let us all listen together. But I don't want to interfere. If, if there are those called to speak, please do it. The Lord is my shepherd. Already, I lack nothing. I'm So thankful. He makes me to lie down in green pastures or beside beautiful ocean shores. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. (laughs) Even though we're on the right path, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it's just said he was following God, but he still led him through this path. Then I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord.